Welcome again to Grace Church, wherever you are in the world this morning or this afternoon or this evening. Uh, we welcome you as we worship Jesus Christ as Lord. If you uh, do speak Spanish, you can hear Pastor Rolando teaching God's word every evening at seven o'clock on YouTube. And I believe it's the uh, Comunidad Biblica Cristiana de Allentown uh, channel on YouTube. You can hear him uh, every evening at 7 for some good Bible teaching. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning, looking at verses 7 through 18. Last week, I talked about being made adequate in Christ, that we are not adequate in and of ourselves, but God is able to and willing to make us adequate to do what he's called us to do. This morning I want to talk about the process by which he does that. Uh, how does he continually make us adequate, sufficient for the task to which he called us? We call that process theologically sanctification. And so we will talk about this morning how God transforms us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I'm reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not, might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. My question this morning, again, is how do we experience this 
adequacy, or we might call it this glorious sufficiency of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. If God is our sufficiency, if Christ is our sufficiency, how does he mediate that sufficiency to us? How do we experience the adequacy for life and ministry that God wants us to have? How do we do that? The question is answered by what the Bible teaches about the process of sanctification. It's really a question we all ask, maybe in different terms. How do we live the Christian life? How do I change? How does God change me? How does transformation take place? As we look at our text this morning, my main focus will come to verse 18 of chapter 3, though I will incorporate the rest of the text into the message. I'm going to make two major points, and then I'm going to end the message with a number of principles that underlie the process of sanctification, which I have found felt helpful and continue to find helpful as I seek to live the Christian life as you do. How do we experience ongoing transformation? Two points this morning. First of all, we need our eyes opened to see the superior, glorious sufficiency of Christ that is mediated to us by the Holy Spirit. In that lengthy and somewhat difficult passage that I read about the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, Paul sets forth what he calls the greater glory, the glory that surpasses the greater glory of the New Covenant. The old covenant is the law, the law given by Moses. The new covenant is the redemption that is purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and which is applied to us through the work of the Holy Spirit as we believe the presentation of the gospel. It's our participation in the new covenant that makes possible the process of sanctification or becoming adequate. If you have not been made alive, born again, united to Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit of God, if you are not in the new covenant through faith in Jesus Christ, then you cannot ever experience the adequacy that God wants you to have for life. I love the simple but profound contrast that Paul makes between the old covenant and the new covenant. The new covenant, he says, is life. The old covenant is death. Matter of fact, Jesus said, when you believe on me, the moment you believe on me, you pass from death to life. Later, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, he said, this is what life eternal is all about. This is life eternal, that you may know me, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. 
The new covenant is life, the old is death. The new covenant, Paul says, is a matter of inward change. As he says in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The new is inward change. The old is simply outward. All the law could do was show you God's standard and call you to obedience, but it had no power to transform your heart and give you the ability to obey. The new covenant, he says, is about righteousness. You are made right in the sight of God. The old covenant is condemnation. As Q read, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But if all you know is religion, whether it's false religion, whether it's Christianity simply as a religious system, if all you know is religion and not regeneration, then you stand under condemnation. The new covenant, he says, has a remaining glory, a surpassing glory. Well, the old covenant simply had a fading glory. It was destined to pass away. The new covenant was designed to last forever and ever. In the new covenant, Paul says we have a heart that is unveiled. In the old covenant, you have a heart that is blinded. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. But Paul says all of those things which the human eye and ear cannot hear and see, God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For his Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Moses put a veil on to hide the fading glory of the old covenant, the law, from the Israelites. In the old economy, Moses, in receiving the law, had the privilege of an unveiled face in the presence of God. Certainly, he didn't see God in his pure essence, but he saw the glorious display of God's character and presence, and he left the presence of God with his face shining. And as he came down the mountain, the people saw his face shining, having come from the presence of God. He then took a veil and he covered his face. Our text tells us he covered his face. He veiled the glory so that they would not gaze on that which was destined to pass away. God did not want them fixed, their eyes fixed on the fading glory of the law. He wanted them to see the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to be a schoolmaster, a tutor, 
to bring people, to lead people to Jesus Christ. All that the law could do was expose and condemn, but it could not redeem, it could not transform. Paul tells us that whatever the law says, it says to those who are lost, it speaks to the lost, and whatever the law says, it says it in such a way that every mouth may be stopped and every man become guilty before God. The law has a purpose, but the law is not what you love and pursue and glory in. You see its purpose is to bring you to the unfading, unchanging glory of Jesus Christ. Moses' intent was to turn their attention away from him. But I think many of the Israelites misinterpreted Moses' intention. They saw the glory that he experienced as something that was privileged, something that gave him superiority, and they exalted him in, a, in an in, in ordinate way. As we read our text, we actually find there are two veils that are discussed here. The veil that was over Moses' face to prevent the Israelites from, uh, from seeing and, and holding on to the fading glory of the law. And then he talks about the veil that is still over their hearts. And it's the problem of the veil over their hearts that makes them and makes anyone misinterpret the intention of the law. Because of the veil over their hearts, they saw the glory of the law as a means by which they could earn God's favor. Instead of seeing it as the schoolmaster that would bring them to Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say that if you are in Jesus Christ you have an unveiled face. You have an unveiled heart. That is, you can look at the law and see, it, see what it was and what it was for. You can say, yes, I see the law. It's holy and it's good. But its purpose was not to bring me closer to God. Its purpose was to show me my need of God and my, my inability to make my own way to God. Its purpose was to show me my need of a savior. And with this unveiled face that we will talk more about next week in 2 Corinthians chapter four, with this unveiled face, we can now not only see the real purpose of the law, but we can see the glory, the matchless, superior, unfading glory of Jesus Christ. And I love the force of the Greek language here when it talks about an unveiled face. It looks to a time in the past when that veil was actually ripped away, when you began to see. But it also indicates that there's an ongoing result of that day the veil was ripped away that there's a permanent effect that you not only began to see, 
the purpose of the law and you began to see the glory of Christ, but you continue to see the purpose of the law and the glory, the surpassing glory of Jesus Christ. It is only in Christ, by the work of the Spirit, that we see that the fading glory of the law, we see it for what it is, exposing us to God's holiness, exposing us to our sinfulness. And it's in Christ, through the Spirit, that we are able to begin to see the unfading, surpassing glory of Christ that exposes us to God's wonderful saving grace. But the second point in our text this morning is that we need to cooperate with the Spirit's ministry that we might experience this glorious sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He talks about the glory of the Lord and us being transformed into that same image. This is so profound and overwhelming, it's hard to grasp. To grasp this matchless glory of the Lord and then the grasp that the Spirit's work is to progressively transform me into that glory of, of Jesus Christ. To be fully adequate, we might define in a different way. We might say that to be fully adequate would to be fully Christ-like. That is why he will talk about a process. We are all in the process of becoming like Jesus Christ. Some of the older translations, when they translate uh, verse 18, they talk about beholding as in a glass or as in a mirror. And even though those words aren't uh, particularly in the Greek text, the word beholding and the concept of that, that, that he's talking about indicates this looking into a mirror and gazing at something that has an effect on you. I remember years ago reading on a church sign in a day when they put more than just nonsense on church signs because today church signs are just political nonsense at times. But I remember reading this very clearly, wrote it down, and I believe it's true. The Bible is the only book into which man can look and see himself as God sees him. It's also the only book into which man can look and see God as he has chosen to reveal himself. Without the word of God, you cannot know God. You cannot know yourself. The word of God alone gives us God's self-revelation and exposes us to who we really are. God's purpose in sanctification 
is to make us more like him. Romans chapter 8 tells us that God predestined us. This is his plan from the very beginning that we might be conformed to the image of his son. He talks about this in verse 18 in a number of ways. When I think of being sufficient, becoming like Christ, I see first of all that he talks about what I call the progression from glory to glory, or as the ESV says, from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Some take it simply to mean when it says from glory to glory, that's the literal Greek, take it, takes it to mean you, you go from the glory of Christ to the glory that you reflect in Christ, which, which is fine, it can mean that. Others take it to mean that this transformation is the glory of Christ that is ever increasing in your life. That's how the ESV translates it. You go from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we progressively become more like him. He is the light of the world. According to John chapter 8, and Philippians 2 says that we are reflectors of that light. And as we become, as we know him better, as we become more like him, we begin to reflect more of the light of Jesus Christ. Paul says we shine as lights in this world. It's a progression that takes place. And we should all be asking, Am I becoming more like Christ? Secondly, it not only talks about the progression, but it talks about the process by which this takes place. We are continually being transformed, he says. The Greek word is the word we get our word metamorphosis from, which in the Greek normally indicates a transformation that is deep, that is uh, internal. There's another word that writers could use when, it's, when they were talking about just conforming to something. You know, the outward, taking on the outward form. But this word particularly is used to describe the inward change, conforming on the inside rather than simply the outward appearance. This is what sanctification is. It's the continuing process of internal change, of one's essential nature, of what is happening deep within my heart. As Jesus said, uh, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or as the writer of Proverbs says, uh, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, out of the heart, are all the issues of life. In our world, we, we have phrases like, the clothes make the man. Of course, that's what advertising is all about. You know, the external appearance that 
makes you in the eyes of others who you are. But sanctification, though it affects the outward appearance, must first take, take place in the heart. You can have what appears to be sanctification without having sanctification. That is, you can appear to be all right on the outside. You're conforming outwardly to the expectations of God or maybe Christian culture. and You look good as a Christian, but your heart may be as perverse and ugly as it can be. But if sanctification is really taking place, if your heart is really being transformed, it will work its way out. It won't hide itself if the heart is being transformed. It's not the clothes that make the man, the real man, the real woman, is always what is happening on the inside. Jesus said it's all of these evil things that he enumerated that come from within that defile the man. I must constantly be changed within. It's a process. The Greek language is very clear. It's a constant metamorphosis that is taking place. It's little by little that God is changing us. Because he knows and I know that if if up front God had said, John, here are all of the things that I'm going to change in your life. That night that I came to Christ. These are all of the things that I'm going to change about you. I think I would have run out of fear. It's like walking into headlights, high beams. You can't see anything. But if you turn light on gradually and you adjust to the light as it increases, you can bear the bright light as your eyes adjust to it. And as God works in our lives, little by little, we understand the word of God here. and The spirit of God works in our life here. And we understand a little bit more. And the spirit of God works more in our life. We are constantly being metamorphosized by the spirit of God. But he thirdly identifies the participants in this transforming process. And that's important. It's important to understand your part and God's part. He says, our part is we behold the glory of the Lord. We are literally constantly beholding the glory of the Lord. And as we are beholding the glory of the Lord, we are constantly being changed by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of the Lord. There's a simultaneous activity here. I am active in beholding and contemplating 
in reading, in meditating, in learning, in studying, in looking into that glass of the Word of God that I might see the glory of the Lord and see myself as He sees me. I must be active. But my activity cannot produce sanctification. There's not a thing that you can do to change your heart. Now you must behold the glory of the Lord for sanctification to take place. There is no sanctification apart from the work of God's word in your life. But just because you read the Bible and come to church does not mean that you're being transformed. Because only the spirit of God can transform your heart. There must be a yieldedness, a willingness, a surrender, a dependence upon the Spirit's work. It's His responsibility to change me. Thank you. The provision for this transforming process, the provisions are... The mirror, as the older translations say, which we would say is the word. And the spirit of God working hand in hand as 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us so well of how the spirit and the word work together. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that ever increasing glory. I do find it interesting in the older translations when if, if, they are, if they are correct in saying that Paul's intent is the image of a mirror. As to... What do you see when you look into the mirror? And so some would say from the text, you look into the mirror, what you actually see is the glory of Jesus. And as you look at the glory of Jesus, you are, and the Spirit of God is working in your life, you are changed into that glory that you are seeing in that mirror. Others would say, and I think there's a bit of truth, and they both might be true, but others would say, you know, when you look into a mirror, you see yourself. But when you're looking into the mirror of the Word of God as a believer, you see yourself now as God sees you. You see your glorious identity in Jesus Christ. You come to the Word of God so that you can see who you really are now, that you're chosen, you're beloved, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're seated in the heavenlies, you're a king, you're a priest, you belong to the living God. And so what you are seeing is who you are in Jesus Christ. One writer put it this way. He said the Christian scriptures are the mirror by which the Spirit of God reflects to the believer one's new identity in Jesus Christ. 
That is, upon conversion, the Christian receives a new and glorious identity as a result of union with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For example, if Jesus Christ is glorified in the heavenlies, then so too is the Christian glorified in the heavenlies. Thus the Christian sees himself in this glorious identity through the reflected mirror of the Christian scripture. That is, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. That's who I am. Paul says all of this comes from the Lord. Who is that spirit? Now certainly he's not saying there's not a distinction in the Trinity. He's not talking about identity between Jesus, the Lord, and the Spirit. But he's talking about unity. That the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. He sends him. He promised he would. The Holy Spirit is the one who will testify of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who rules in our hearts under the rule of Jesus Christ. For from the Lord, for, for this comes from the Lord who is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You have this total unveiled experience of being able to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Many believers are like I was as a young believer. They're looking for something more dramatic, more powerful, more experiential to happen in their life that can move them to a, another level of spirituality, another level of knowing God. I think I've told some of you before of the night that my brother and I thought that we would, we, we had heard a message about getting fresh oil from God and we thought we would spend the night praying and begging God to pour out this fresh oil on us. And we prayed and prayed and then fell asleep and never got fresh oil. Some would say, well, you didn't get it because you didn't wait long enough. But then I read that God has already given us everything that is necessary for life and godliness. That the Spirit is not given in measure. You have as much of the Spirit of God as you can ever have in your life. That there is no second blessing or next step but it's progressively growing in your understanding of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ and go growing in your appreciation and your love and your value of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. It was as a young believer that I read a little booklet by a pastor by the name of Al Martin in North Jersey, a Reformed Baptist pastor on uh, living the Christian life. And it 
it clarified my thinking. And I've taken that booklet and, and uh, I've sort of tweaked it along with my own understanding, but I am indebted to uh, Al Martin's influence on my life. But he laid out a number of things that helped me. One of the first things he said was, Christian living has no simple formula, formulas. In the front of one of my Bibles, I have a little sticker with an outline of a message that I heard preached, and it's called Seven Keys to the Christian Life. Now, stuff like that engages us, that excites us. What are the seven keys? What are the seven things that I must have and experience in order to rise to that next level of, of spirituality? Or for some, you know, what's that book that will change my life? Or what's that one message that I'll hear and will forever lift me to a higher plane or... Maybe if I went to the Holy Land, my, my, my life will be changed forever. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't use any and all of those things in our life, in the process of sanctification. But that there is no simple formula except what Paul calls beholding the glory of the Lord. And as we behold the glory, as we understand more and more of who Jesus is and what he's done for us as sinners, the Spirit of God transforms us. The second thing I needed to learn was that Christian living, transformation, sanctification, is a battlefield. It's not a playground. There is no easy way to live the Christian life. Because you're fighting all the time. You're fighting sin in your own life. You're mortifying. You're putting to death those evil desires and evil inclinations you have. You're fighting sin. It's still there. The vestiges of your fallen nature are still a part of you. You're fighting the world that you're in, the system of this world that's dominated by Satan that wants to pull you away from the Lordship of Christ. You're fighting Satan himself. You're wrestling, not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. As the old southern preacher Lester Roloff used to sing, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to. Run if you will. But I've come here to stay. By God's grace, we are in a fight. But thirdly, I learned... The Christian living involves the full engagement of the entire human personality. Your mind, your will, your emotions, 
You need to set your affections on things above. Your emotions need to go after God. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to fill your mind with God's things, with good, good things. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness. Your will must be surrendered to obedience to the Spirit of God. It involves the full engagement of the human personality. There's no osmosis that takes place. You can't put your Bible under your pillow. You can't even simply just wake up in the morning and routinely read your Bible. If your entire personality, your will, your mind, and your affections are not given to what you're reading. You can't come to church and think, well, I'm here, and my presence here will might, might bring about some transformation. No, it won't, unless your will and your mind and your affections are given to the hearing of the Word of God. And then as we've seen, Christian living requires this ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing work. Theologically, we talk about what's called West, Wesleyan perfectionism, and we appreciate and value much of what the Wesleys did in, in preaching and evangelizing and uh, writing songs. But some of their theology was wrong when it came to sanctification. And that has influenced some movements like the older Methodists, Salvation Army, much of Pentecostalism, that, that there is, as Wesley's taught, there is some, some baptism of purifying fire that, that can come over you and negate the power of sin in your life, that you can rise to a level of perfect sanctification where you're not fighting that battle that I talked about. And I think I've shared with you before the great Bible teacher, H.A. Ironside, the book that he wrote on holiness, the false and true, because he was involved early on in that uh, that false type of sanctification and perfectionism. And, and he says, I, I noticed how many believers departed from the Christian faith because they were told you can be perfect. You can get to the point where, where sin is no longer a battle in your life and it never happened to them. And so they quit. And it's never happened to me. I fight the battle of sin every day. And then he said, he said, I notice how many people who believe that, believers who believe that, ended up in sort of like a crazy house. Because in their mind, they were telling themselves, I'm sanctified, I'm purified, I've reached that level. But in their own heart, their own heart was defying 
what they were wanting to believe in their mind, and it drove them nuts. Some say, well, you know, you'll know, you'll know that you have it when you are baptized by the Spirit and you speak in tongues. That's when you've reached that level. But I was baptized in the Spirit the moment I became a believer and it united me to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are many theories of the Christian life that set forth the need for some second experience that's subsequent to conversion that will lead you to some higher level of spiritual living. And the Bible says, no, there is no such thing. There is only the ongoing work of the Spirit of God in your life as you look into the Word of God that raises you progressively from one level of glory, one degree of glory or another, but there's no one experience that's going to make that ultimate dramatic change. Walter Marshall, an older theologian, wrote a book called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. And he said this, he said, the means whereby the Spirit of God accomplishes our union with Christ and our fellowship with him in all holiness, the means and instrument are the gospel, he says, the gospel whereby Christ enters into our heart to work faith in us and faith whereby we actually receive Christ himself with all of his fullness into our hearts. And this faith is a grace of the spirit whereby we heartily believe and keep believing the gospel. And we believe and rely on Christ as he is revealed and freely promised to us in the gospel for all of his salvation. That we keep looking to what God has done for us in Christ. When you look for that second experience, you're actually hindering God's work in your life. When you look to some act of righteousness on your own or some act of obedience or some spiritual event as a means by which you can ultimately be drawn to this higher level, you are hindering the process of transformation because God wants you to love Christ so much that you keep looking to him, you keep learning of him, you keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then the fifth thing I learned was that all of this often involves God's discipline in my life. Because there's something about me that easily goes the other way. I understand the songwriter when he wrote, you know, prone to wonder. 
Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That there's something about us that still wants to go away and go after false gods and idols. And so in this process of sanctification, God is often disciplining us. He disciplines every child whom he receives because he wants you to partake of his holiness. Do you want to grow in experiencing this ongoing adequacy in Jesus Christ? Then there's two things you need this morning, and they're related. You need to know that you've repented of your sins and you've turned to Jesus Christ in faith. That the Spirit of God has entered your life. He's made you alive. He's brought you into union with Christ. And you know in your heart that a work of transformation has already begun. That must be there. You must see the superior glory of the new covenant in Christ. But then secondly, Paul said, as you have received... Christ Jesus the Lord. So keep walking in him. Well, how did you receive him? You received him in humility, in repentance, and faith. How do you keep walking? In humility, and repentance, and faith. And as we continually repent, of our insufficiency and repent of our sin and look to Jesus Christ and all of his glory in his finished work. As we do that, the spirit of God works in our life to transform us from one degree of glory to another. I pray that will be your experience. Let's pray together this morning. Father, If there's anyone here today that has not been made alive by your spirit, who is not experiencing deep within a change of heart and affection and mind, then I pray that right where they are this morning, you would continue to work in their life, open their eyes, take that veil away, that they might see the glory of Jesus Christ. And if this morning, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would like to see that unfading glory of Christ, then right where you are, wherever you are in the world this morning, pray a simple prayer like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that there's nothing that I can do to save myself. And today, I repent of my sin. And I believe that Jesus died in my place and rose again. And that he alone is my Savior and Lord. Today, I receive him as my Savior and my Lord. 
And if you're a believer today, maybe your heart's become hard and cold and complacent about the sin that's in your life. That love for Christ has grown cold. Why not tell God right where you sit, Father, I want to see the glory of Christ. I repent. I want to find my sufficiency, my happiness, my satisfaction, my joy, my peace in Jesus Christ. Forgive me and begin a new process of transformation in my life. Father, by your grace and mercy, keep working in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.